So hopefully Mark will engage his one fucking brain cell and maybe half of his moustache and come up with some fucking evidence. Well hello everybody, welcome back to Witch Fix. Today I'm getting on with some more films because I'm currently reading some stuff to research a book that I'm trying to write which means I don't really have a lot of time left over for reading uh, witch books at the moment which is kind of frustrating because I have a big pile to get through uh, which is only growing by the day, fear for me. But I also have a lot of films so I, I'm just going to try and move on with those as well just so that you guys can still enjoy some reviews and also because it gives me an excuse to dig into my pile of movies which I don't watch a lot of films so um, it kind of gives me a chance to actually catch up. So today I'm going to be looking at Inferno which is a film from 1980. Uh, it is the spiritual successor or thematic sequel to Suspiria from 1977 which we've already looked at. Uh, just like Suspiria this film was also written and directed by Dario Argento uh, and is the second in the Three Mothers trilogy. Uh, the last film in that is The Mother of Tears which it came out in 2007, so quite a large gap, and I do have that one on DVD, and we'll be looking at it soon enough. We'll, we'll be looking today at Inferno. I know literally nothing about it, except that it is expensive and hard to find on DVD on eBay. So uh, with that in mind, I found it on YouTube. Um, I, I do, by the way, if I have watched the film on YouTube or, or had to try and find it because it, it's difficult to find on DVD. I, I do add it to my favourites list for the channel which I think is public so if you ever want to go and check out some of the films like the versions of them that I have seen just go and check the favourites list over on YouTube and uh, you'll be able to find any versions that I ended up watching. Uh, because these aren't really like new films that still have copies being sold I don't really see it as like stealing money from the people who made the movies because they're not really being sold on DVD anymore, so they're really hard to find. So uh, if you can't find it, definitely have a look on YouTube because you will be able to find it. With that said, because it's on YouTube, I'm going to be watching it at my computer uh, and therefore not really taking notes uh, all the way through the film and then talking about it, which is what I usually do. Uh, instead, I'll be sort of commenting on it in stages. So uh, as we go through, I won't actually have seen the end of the film um, and it will kind of be a sort of like a live watch with me except it won't be live by the time you hear it it'll be several months later but uh just just cling to the illusion it'll be fun and without further ado let's get into the movie so we open the movie on a, on a close-up of a giant knife which is always good and then move to a close-up of a snake key ring which is alarming and then to a book called the three mothers by e varelli which is written entirely in latin and there is a, a lady reading it and translating it using a dictionary but you get some voiceover of a guy talking about how he's an alchemist and how he doesn't know what punishment he will face for revealing his secrets and like breaking his vow of silence. Varelli talks about encountering the three mothers and building for them as he's an architect. Three buildings or like centres of activity for them in Freiburg, Germany, New York and Rome. Uh, the voiceover goes on to say that he basically designed these places as homes uh, but he didn't realise that they were going to use these as, like, bases of operations. He then describes the three mothers. The mother of size, who is the eldest and who lives in Freiburg. The mother of tears, who is the most beautiful and lives in Rome. And the mother of darkness, who is the youngest but cruelest and lives in New York. Um, he then describes them as being incapable of creating life. But then the sentence gets cut off by, like, loud music and the title card that just says Inferno. 
and then we jump straight back into the scene with the the narrator still talking i'm not sure if that's just the youtube version if that's actually the movie but it feels like it was edited with a hatchet so then he starts talking about the three keys to discovering the secret of these mothers uh, the first of which is that the land around their homes like the places where they are built will become deathly and plague-ridden due to their influence the second key is that in the cellar of each house is a picture and the name of the mother in residence and the third key he says is under the soles of your shoes and like that that's all he says about that so uh there's some interesting law being laid down here and uh, i can't wait to see if we encounter these uh mothers individually or if we only meet like the one in new york because uh from the card at the beginning of the film uh this woman currently reading the book is in new york i had a minor brainwave just realizing how stupid i've been while watching like the next couple of scenes because when he like the voiceover guy talks about the mothers and mentions that the eldest of them lives in freiburg um that's where suspiria takes place so i guess that the um the mother of size the eldest one uh, was actually the directress of the dance academy and is therefore already dead so i'm guessing that um this film is going to center on like the, the one in new york and then maybe like mother of tears which is the third film will, will center on the mother of tears in rome just nothing really to say about that except that i'm a dumbass who'd forgotten what city the, the original film was saying but there you go the main character who Wikipedia informs me is called Rose. Uh, the film hasn't actually informed me of that yet, but it just always helps to have a name to refer as them to. Uh, she is seen finishing reading the book. She then writes a letter to her brother and goes out to post it. And after she's written it, we get, get sort of a focus on some like architectural drawings on the wall and then a shot of the real life building of of that drawing uh, and then she goes to mail the letter that she's written and stops off at an antique shop which is apparently where she bought the book to have a weird conversation with the owner about the book which he says he's also read uh, and they kind of talk back and forward a little bit but not a huge amount comes out of it except that she says that there is a weird bittersweet pervasive smell around the whole area which sort of points at point one i.e the the sort of plague and pestilence and weirdness around whichever building these witchy women are meant to be in. I wasn't sure of the significance of the, the architectural painting drawing in her, her room, but apparently from that we're meant to gather that she actually lives in said building in New York, which is meant to be uh, the home of the specific mother who lives there, the mother of darkness. Uh, that wasn't entirely clear to me, but uh, Wikipedia has cleared that up for me a little bit, uh, just because I was slightly confused as to where that building was actually placed. Uh, because the first thing she does after she leaves the um, antique shop is to mentally have a sort of flashback to the second key is in the cellar, and then go down through a gate grate on the ground and down some stairs. And I was kind of just wondering where this building was located in comparison to her home, but I'm guessing it is her home so she goes down some steps into the cellar underneath this grate uh, and starts wandering around a blue lit basement type area which kind of looks like mole people live there because there's just a bunch of papers on the floor and lots of furniture and, and junk and stuff like people have just been emptying their unwanted belongings down there for decades uh, and there's a kind of a funny bit where she's walking along and she takes out a little cigarette lighter and clicks it so that there's light to see by at which point uh, a very obvious kind of like white light bulb kind of turns on like in the area just out of, uh, out of shot above her head uh, which i don't know why it just cracked me up 
there's a lot of shots of like exposed wiring and a hanging like bare light bulb and then some water running down the outside of a pipe which made me think of imminent electrocution but the camera then follows the the trickle of water from the pipe through a kind of runnel that it's carved in the cement floor to literally like a hole that's like big enough to I guess drown a small dog in um which has two pipes kind of going into it and is full of kind of greyish blue water um which doesn't look great and it kind of instantly made me think that something was going to jump out of it but instead the snake charm thing falls from the waist of her skirt where it's been hanging and and drops into the water she sticks her hand in to try and like catch it but uh doesn't manage to retrieve it it just kind of sinks without trace she then turns on a nearby light fixture which seems to have just like dropped out of the ceiling but somehow still works uh, and manages to hang it on its kind of tatted frayed wire so it overlooks the hole so she can get a better look to grab what is definitely her keyring because it does have keys on it i just didn't see them before um this seems very dangerous and like she's going to get electrocuted uh but at the same time we see and hear footsteps approaching uh the outer grate which led down to the basement so there's somebody out there so I'm sitting here thinking this lady is very, very pristinely dressed in like a pleated skirt and like a white woofly blouse. I don't really know how to describe it. It's quite diaphanous. Um, but she's reached her arm at this point into the hole to try and get her keys. Uh, and part of her hair has gone in the water, which is just kind of gross. And I, for one, would be getting skeeved out and worried about my clothes because while I am no clothes source, it's still gross to like half submerge your like, arm and hair into a hole full of disgusting gross cellar water in the bottom of a building so what she did next was just genuinely just like off the charts in terms of unbelievability because she takes off her high heel shoes and then climbs bodily into the hole full of water like just foot first whole body in like i'm gonna look for my keys which just seems ridiculous and uh, not like something a person would do i mean it is very artsy don't get me wrong and kind of weirdly disturbing but also it really tests my believability like in this character who i barely know she's just like you know what i'm not gonna look for a stick to try and grab these i'm just gonna <laughs> climb bodily into a hole in the foundations of this building what could go wrong while she is bodily submerged in the surprisingly clear water we see a lot of like gold sconces and stuff which kind of suggests like this under basement layer was once a place where someone lived um and then we also see in the sort of background dimly a painting which has the name mater tenebrarum i think i'm saying that right it means mother of darkness uh, so definitely the painting that the book was referring to and then unfortunately she dislodges the keys from where they were hanging on a a gold wall sconce and they fall further into the water so good job rose she grabs a great big lung full of air from up the top and then dives down to try and get her keys for the second time in the suspiciously clear weird water we see a lot of things moving down there and it to the film's credit is quite unsettling and creepy that you see kind of doors opening and closing slightly in the current or maybe not in the current uh, sort of generally things shifting a little bit and then as she's like grabbed her keys and is on her way back up a disgusting like flayed corpse just kind of floats past her and she appropriately freaks out like not before time too because like 78 creepy things have happened since she came down here but definitely the corpse pushed her over the edge as she's trying to swim upwards her feet keep touching its like gross eyelidless face 
which was horrifying but also cool and then she like breaks the surface of the water and climbs out leaves her shoes behind which you know you would uh, and runs towards the entrance a gloved hand then picks up her discarded lighter which she's also abandoned by the hull and we see her running to like a lift in a kind of black and red kind of similar style to the um, the building the dance school in Suspiria so I'm guessing she's now back inside the building where she lives um, she also looks a lot drier um, but I guess this is meant to be the same building and, and not too far away it's just somehow she's now a lot drier than she was a door then opens and some light comes out along with some voices the audio in this I'm not not sure if it's the film itself or the YouTube version but the, the speech is really really quiet and the music is super super loud so I'm having some trouble hearing people but basically uh, someone says like oh she's been snooping around and they're like oh we should keep an eye on her and she hides from them uh, in a sort of off side corridor and the uh, the light above her goes out she then hears a lot of like crashing and banging and then we see what I think is the cellar again uh, with a load of beams falling down and you can still kind of hear water dripping uh, but it looks like that hole she went down into what Wikipedia reliably informs me is a ballroom, because of course it is, uh, is now covered in beams. So I guess uh, she can't get back down there. There's a really loud, like, orchestral booming that accompanies this shot. And then it happens again and we just switch to a shot of just an amphitheatre at a university, which is not as frightening. It appears that the uh, little amphitheatre thing is like part of uh, some sort of seminar on opera music uh, and is in Rome. We zoom in on a guy with some very luscious blonde hair and a luscious blonde moustache who is wearing a tie that seems to have been woven from something. Uh, a pretty blonde girl sits down next to him and he is momentarily distracted by her before being distracted by the slightly more unusual sight of a girl some ways away from him with slightly more tangled brown hair. Uh, not wearing headphones, which the rest of the auditorium is like wearing those really big, big, big 1980s headphones uh, to listen to the music. She's not wearing them. Also, she's petting a cat. Uh, so he, he he's watching her and obviously there's something weird going on. He has the letter that Rose sent. So I'm assuming that he is the brother it was addressed to. And on the front, it says Mark Elliott. So I guess we know his name is Mark. Oof, there's a lot going on in the scene. OK, so Mark starts reading the letter, which for some reason is in the voice of the alchemist. Who, who was doing the voiceover for the book. So I assumed that that was the alchemist's voice, but apparently he just does all the reading. So he's reading Rose's letter out in his manly, manly voice, uh, which talks about her living in this really old, creepy building. And then when Mark looks up, he finds that the girl is still staring at him. The cat is now also staring at him. So I guess that's creepy. And it keeps kind of like zooming in on her face and she appears to be like whispering something. Her facial expression is somewhere between, well, hey there, cutie, and I am going to kill you and eat your innards so there's a lot of complex facial acting going on some windows at the top of the classroom burst open and wind starts streaming in uh, mark simultaneously looked like he's trying not to shit himself or fall asleep so i'm guessing something's happening involving witchcraft but genuinely can't tell what uh, he then puts the letter away in a very long shot of just a man putting a letter in an envelope which is quite dull and then when he looks up again the girl with the cat is not looking at him and then when he looks up again again she gone uh, he then departs the class in a hurry, leaving behind the letter, which the girl next to him, who I think he may be new, unclear, uh, she picks it up and then we see her in the rain in a taxi uh, with the letter. So I guess maybe she's going to, to go give that to him. But the music over the top of this part is literally... Did you ever play Sonic the Hedgehog 2 for Sega? Like, it is the chemical plant music. Like, 
very strongly like synth music and it just reminds me of the chemical plant level so much it's ridiculous and it's so loud we then get like way too long and too many face shots of just her reacting to her reading the letter which we still haven't had fully read to us because mark read like one line and then basically spontaneously wanted to shit himself because he saw a woman with a cat i, I, I don't know what to tell you uh, she then asked the cabbie to take her somewhere else and that somewhere else is the library she also comments that there is a strange sweet smell in the taxi and i'm going to comment on the fact that it doesn't even look like this taxi is driving anywhere it literally looks like someone is walking around the car shining a light in it to make you think that they're passing other cars while like buckets and buckets of like fake rain go over it it's just a whole very odd scene which is 200 hours too long i do really like that when she goes into the library there's kind of like organ music playing and like it shows her sort of walking into the end of the aisle and then the way the camera kind of looks up towards the vaulted ceiling, it all kind of reminds me of kind of shots that you get as someone walks into like a cathedral. Um, so it kind of gives this idea of the this place of knowledge being like a place of worship, which is a really cool thing. And I just thought I'd comment on that. Unfortunately, it's kind of ruined by some of the most stilted dialogue I've ever heard, because uh, the music abruptly just cuts off and uh, the the friend of mark whose name shall go unrecorded by history apparently is asked by uh, an old gentleman like are you looking for something and she goes no yes i am looking for a book called the three mothers yes the three mothers and it's like all right i've calmed down and he's like oh well it should be right behind you and then she turns around and, and, and there is the book She's then pursued by a mysterious whispery voice, uh, which is saying her name, which is Sarah, which is my name, which is disturbing. Um, and she goes down a red lit spiral staircase, a questionable choice. The bottom of the staircase is another like labyrinthine maze of hallways and rooms, which I'm just getting used to the fact that all buildings in this film are constructed in this way. And in one of said rooms is a mysterious figure who looks kind of like Quasimodo, but without a hunch. So just picture that, I guess. The mysterious figure is some dude with long claws, as you do, who is in the basement of the library with a load of cauldrons of what I think was, like, boiling glue. Because there were a lot of, like, papers and books around, like he was maybe binding books. Uh, who realises that she is carrying the copy of Three Mothers and then, like, tries to stuff her head in a cauldron of boiling glue or porridge. Unclear. Uh, so she drops the book and runs away. Following this terrifying and hair-raising encounter, she then goes back home and... Uh, has her neighbour sit with her, this guy called Carlo, uh, because obviously she's frightened and this is very similar to like the beginning of Suspiria where the girl runs away from the dance academy to stay with a friend in town and it basically ends in exactly the same way, i.e. murder. I will say that the uh, brutal murder is actually quite well done uh, because basically the electrics start going kind of funny so the record player is like blaring opera and then shutting off and then blaring again as the lights come on, on and off. Uh, and so Sarah, who is talking to her neighbour Carlo, he, he's like, OK, I'll go check the fuse box. And she says, oh, keep talking so I know where you are because it's scary. He then goes silent for nearly three minutes. Well done, Carlo. Uh, and then continues to talk to her when he actually gets to the, the cupboard where the fuse box is uh, and says, oh, OK, I, I think I fixed it now. 
which he says about 10 seconds before she rounds the corner into the cupboard and sees he has been stabbed through the neck with a large knife. Uh, so he falls on her. There's a little bit of a struggle where she's trying to get away. And then the gloved figure who presumably stabbed Carlo unstabs him by removing the knife from his neck and then stabs Sarah with it, which is not hygienic, but uh, probably convenient. Uh, and uh, obviously she is now dead. And apparently uh, she spoke to Mark on the phone. He hadn't read the letter because he got, you know, distracted by the cat and um she invited him over so uh then he's going to show up and obviously find and find that everyone is dead sure enough mark does discover that everybody is dead uh he then leaves but not before he sees the same creepy cat lady from the seminar earlier just driving by in a cab as you do he he goes home and finds his sister rose uh the line is like pretty bad but he says he's going to be there soon uh he's going to try and help her with whatever's going on because he has managed to read two fragments of the letter which sarah had purloined uh, and now knows that something's not quite right um so after they've hung up the narrative sort of switches back to following rose two people she sees outside of her apartment trying to get in while she's in there she sees them through the frosted window she freaks out and manages to get out through the back door of her apartment which i don't know why it would have a back door uh, and then she kind of is pursued by creepiness down various hallways but it's not really clear where she's going in the building or where where she's going or what's chasing her or if she is in fact being chased or what her end goal is she just keeps going through like weirder and weirder corridors that don't seem to be linked to any location it's very strange and she eventually ends up in a very strange room full of a lot of dead like baby alligators like taxidermy style she is however eventually grabbed by someone with long clawy hands sort of like that dude we saw earlier in rome uh, and then killed in a very grim and grisly fashion uh, with a piece of hanging glass from a window and now it seems like mark is going to be the main protagonist of the film there has been alarmingly little dialogue from anyone so far i think sarah was the one with the most dialogue and she's dead um so characterization isn't great at this point like 40 minutes into the film we don't really know a lot about any of the characters uh, and i think marcus said a, a grand total of maybe 10 words so i'm finding it kind of hard to connect with them as as characters in the movie mark turns up at rose's apartment building meets some of the randos who are just milling around downstairs including a nurse and a guy in a wheelchair he then goes upstairs to her apartment which is basically painted entirely in pillar blocks red and he's wearing a suit shirt and tie combo which are all in the nice nicest possible shade of grayish so he kind of looks like an accountant that's just stumbled into a bordello but there we go and he realizes something is up as soon as he shuts the door because the giant glass doorknob that uh, is in the front door uh, broke off partly in uh, rose's hand shortly before her death cutting her quite badly uh, and there's just like a half a glass knob there which he touches when he shuts the door which is weird i don't think i've ever shut a door on the other side by using the doorknob i just push it shut but okay but it also doesn't cut him which i found slightly weird as well Mark finds her telephone is off the hook and doesn't seem to be working, which explains why their phone call was abruptly cut off, and also the word mater scratched into the leather blotter on the desk, except he reads it as M-A-T-E-R and not as, you know, a recognisable word. We then get a, an extreme close-up of someone cutting up a lot of very red meat with a cleaver and then feeding it through a trapdoor to what looks like a dog, um, 
I'm sure this will become relevant at some point. We also see the guy in the antique shop next door um, just sort of closing up shop, smoking a cigarette. But he notices a lot of cats running around outside. That There were cats running around outside when Rose first went into the basement. And also cats running around, I think, when Rose was murdered or when Sarah was murdered. I have forgotten already. Um, but cats seem to be sort of an omen of death at the moment in that if you see them something horrible is about to happen. Mark is then unpacking books in the calmest most robotic way possible given that his sister is mysteriously missing and there are signs of a struggle in her apartment and then he hears someone just generally hallooing him uh, from everywhere and when he opens the door he discovers a woman with dark brown hair standing in the hallway outside who seems surprised to see him uh, she explains that she is a friend of roses her name is elise and that they discovered this weird thing where all of the apartments have these like tiny like pipes leading into them which connect up to the old pipe system in the building and that when you speak into them uh, you can make your voice sound like it's coming from everywhere which is what was causing the weird hallowing effect in inside the the flat this seems deeply concerning she's acting a little bit suspicious and you see some drops of blood on the carpet just by her foot he invites her into the flat and she says okay just for a moment and that someone is coming to get her for a phone call in a moment so not to shut the door she says that she lives in the building alone but has lived there for five years and her husband travels all the time for work and she can't go with him because she's not well uh, and then we instantly get a cut to a, a weird red blind opening showing the full moon and a room filled with cats and candelabras, which is my dream scenario. We then just jump straight back to Mark, who's saying that Rose knew he was coming to visit, so why isn't she in? Why is she not back yet? To which my response would be, you've gone into an apartment and found that when the phone cut off, the phone was just left on the floor. There's a mysterious message scratched into the blotter and also the front doorknob was broken. So I would be thinking maybe she's been abducted or at least that she hasn't just popped out for a pint of milk. Um, but I, I'm kind of getting used to everyone in this film kind of acting like they're from the uncanny valley of not understanding how people work. Mark does, however, take the opportunity to question Elise about the building and she reveals some facts about it, such as the fact that most of the apartments are empty, that it used to belong to a rich eccentric who then died, and then a management company um, opened it up again as apartments. And then he asks a little bit about the antique dealer slash bookseller who uh, has a shop next door. We then get a little scene of that same bookseller kind of being worried that someone is in his shop and we do see someone take three copies of the three mothers from the shelf but nothing happens to him uh, and then we get a little scene of Elise being injected with stuff uh, and then having a bath prepared for her I, I guess to show that she actually is ill and then she realizes that at some point she must have stood in blood because there is blood on her toes and then we see her I think the next day or maybe later that evening not sure talking to Mark about it about how she noticed the blood and that the door handle was broken and then maybe something has happened to Rose. Elise goes on to explain about the three mothers who she says Rose was obsessed with, again uh, saying their names, uh, this time the Latin names which begin with Mater, so hopefully Mark will engage his one fucking brain cell and maybe half of his moustache and come up with some fucking evidence. Um, and then we see as she's talking about this obsession and how she feels like she's being watched and how something's not quite right, we go into a vent and follow pipes while her voice is still being heard along with some more incredibly loud music. Uh, so that kind of suggests that people are being watched and listened to uh, through the pipe system that she noticed before. A creepy deafening laugh then really put my laptop speakers in danger coming back out of the pipes and Elise jumps up 
frightened by this and says did you hear that and mark's like what laugh so um he's still useless uh but probably something bad's gonna happen to elise and i think we saw earlier like a, a random like flash of her hanging by the neck and then also uh, a lizard eating a moth which seemed weirdly out of place in whatever scene i noticed those in but now i'm starting to think that they were maybe just predicting her death uh, in, in a, another weird kind of artsy move Mark ignores her being scared and instead focuses on the tiny drops of blood by the door, realising that they are still wet, which I'm not sure they would be if they belonged to Rose, because he had to fly here from Rome. Um, that probably takes enough time for the blood to have dried. But then he sees that it actually goes into a trail of very large and obvious blood drops, which how did no one not notice? I mean, I know the hallway is basically also red, but they're very dark drops is what I'm saying. He elects to follow the blood trail and uh, Elise elects to stay in the apartment because she's frightened. So she's probably going to die because for better or for worse, Mark is our protagonist. Mark finds a spiral staircase leading down into a room full of pipes. As you do, I'm starting to think that I built this house when I was like five on The Sims because it is very weird and none of it makes sense. He also finds a window, which is literally just a window into a tiny cube of blue pulsating light, which is making a noise like wind whooshing. And after a while, after he's, you know, looked at the light, he starts to kind of act like he's either having an asthma attack or trying not to be sick or a combination of the two. So definitely nothing good. Meanwhile, Elise discovers the bloody handprint that Rose left on the curtain concealing the apparently secret rear entrance to her apartment uh, and decides to go down the staircases and hallways, etc. that Rose went down shortly before her death. So it's kind of a race at this point is to see which of these two idiots is going to bumble their way into murder faster. Mark, who is semi-passed out on the floor, is approached by a hooded figure who starts to drag him across the floor and Elise then sees this from a different window which she has reached in this maze-like warren of rooms she's gone into. The hooded figure sees her through a window and then departs quickly as if, you know, coming to get her, so she runs away. It is kind of cool because when she tries to go back through the door into Rose's apartment, we see the internal locking mechanism moving by itself. And then this also happens to another door. So it's either someone is using like magic or psychic powers to lock her out of the apartment or even cooler, they are using some sort of clockwork mechanism. So this whole building has been built basically like a death trap, uh, kind of like the hotel. Like the, I think it's the castle hotel that guy built to just like trap and kill people in which uh, American Horror Story Hotel was partially based on uh, so that's kind of cool uh, I wish we were getting some more of that instead of just you know a lot of this generally kind of unsettling weird shit she then stumbles into I guess the only open apartment which seems to be the apartment where they keep all the old chairs and after a couple of seconds of looking around confusedly she's attacked by a pack of cats um, these are definitely real living cats that are being thrown at this actress, which um, is not okay. And at one point you do actually see the arm of someone coming in from off screen flinging cats at her. So it's kind of like that scene in The Birds, except cats. It's also almost entirely pointless because the cats soon scamper away and the hooded figure comes in and just stabs her to death. So didn't even need to be throwing cats at people. Just, just stab them. It's fine. So now we're just left with Mark, world's least charismatic man, and uh, I can't wait to see what adventures he gets up to next. Mark staggers through the hallways, having apparently left wherever he was dragged to by the hooded figure, so 
that renders that kind of pointless. He collapses on the floor and is approached by the two residents we've seen, plus the nurse and the, the lady at the front desk who gave him the key to the apartment, who was definitely in Suspiria, uh, I think, as one of the dance instructors. But there we go. Um, and they say they're going to give him some medicine, give him what looks like a glass of water. But he, he starts to pass out and then appears to have been moved to a, another secondary location or tertiary location or whatever location number we're up to now. Mark seems totally unconcerned about the potential drugging, etc., and the events of the previous evening, which I assume he writes off as a dream, because he just thanks the front desk lady for her medical assistance, and then rushes to catch up with the antique shop owner as he's leaving. The antique shop owner doesn't really give him any information, aside from the fact that there is going to be an eclipse of the moon uh, in the coming days, and that he should watch it as it could be interesting. The antique shop owner is having problems with cats, like getting into his shop and knocking stuff over and, and breaking things in general, and he finds uh, a number of them there when he returns, so obviously he hunts them down one by one, and you see him pick up a cat by like the scruff of its neck, which I know is how cats like carry their kittens and stuff, but then like you see him carrying it, the cat is clearly not happy and making a lot of noise, um, and also like clinging, then not to its like the scruff of its neck but just like the area around its ears and basically the skin at the top of its head um he then knocks it unconscious and puts it in a bag which i'm guessing was done with a fake cat but still the way he's carrying the real cat is horrible and yeah this this is not a great film for cats after drowning the bag of cats which I'm assuming at that point contained no cats, in what looks to be like a park, maybe even Central Park. Um, the guy then instantly falls over into the water and can't get up because of his bad leg, at which point real rats start to swarm all over his body and we see like fake rats like hanging onto his skin, the real rats crawling around like fake bloody holes in his clothes. It's pretty disturbing. Um, but he keeps shouting things like, Help! I'm being eaten alive by rats! They're eating me alive! And then the world's most helpful hot dog vendor comes sprinting across the, the darkened park because the eclipse is now in full swing uh, and then helpfully just chops the guy in the neck so he's no longer being eaten alive by rats. He's just being eaten by rats. Uh, he then gets kicked into the um, kind of sewer pipe thing and then left there for the rats to eat. Uh, and then we cut back to the front desk lady and the guy who is administering injections to Elise, or was administering them to Elise because she dead, talking about how he's found a stash of money in her jewellery box and he seems to be unaware that she is dead. So I'm confused uh, as to who is involved in this, the weirdness and who is not. Front desk lady says that the guy should call the Contess's husband and say that she left suddenly. Uh, the guy seems to be worried about her coming back, so presumably he wasn't involved in her murder. Uh, the front desk lady definitely is because she says that she definitely won't be coming back and that now it's their turn to live it up and they're going to enjoy life instead of, you know, the rich people who suck. So uh, I, I think she's just fully embraced murderous communism. Anyway, the guy, who is called John, goes upstairs to call the husband. I'm not sure from whose apartment, but I'm going to assume the Contessa's. However, he notices there are some things amiss there. The lights don't work. Also, it looks like someone has tried pulling up some of the floorboards. He is, however, then immediately grabbed by clawy hands uh, and apparently attacked. We then cut back to the front desk lady, who hears crashing upstairs and goes to investigate. She then finds also that the lights don't work, lights a single candle and carries it further into the room. She then finds John's body with the eyes partially like 
pulled out and just left kind of hanging out on his cheeks um she screams staggers backwards accidentally sets fire to a curtain which must be made of like pure alcohol but spun into fabric just judging by how quickly it goes up she tries to stamp out the fire and then when that doesn't work attempts to pull down the curtain to i guess stamp on it some more but inadvertently pulls the curtain on top of herself and then while she's on fire and in a panic smashes through a window and plummets to her death unclear if the apartment is still separately on fire but i'm sure we'll catch up on that later alone in rose's apartment mark seems to be trying to work something out he's pacing up and down on a boarded floor and i started thinking oh okay because the keys under the sole of your shoes was like the third key so i guess the floorboards being pulled up in the other apartment kind of signify that whatever it is is under one of the floors i don't know how you're meant to know where but okay he repeats the line about the key being under your shoes cross hatches in part of the outside of the building on the building plan but then keeps saying the key is under the sole of your shoes like he's still trying to work it out and i'm not entirely sure how colouring in part of the outside decoration on the picture is, is going to help him solve this. He then notices some ants which he saw previously crawling on the window frame are also swarming over part of the floor um, and then goes to investigate. He pops a matchstick through a hole there and the fact that it just drops away completely seems to prove something to him. I'm not sure what because that will happen in a floor that even doesn't have secret compartments in it because the, the floor of a room is not directly the ceiling of the room below there's like a gap but okay and then we cut away to the apartment that uh the woman just previously plummeted out of the window of and we see that it is definitely still on fire so it's starting to feel like this movie is really a lot like Suspiria and that we're just going to end up with the building just being completely on fire as at the end of the previous film. Mark then bug sprays the ants and then straightens out a coat hanger or something and sticks it down through the small hole in the floorboards and then takes it out again and looks at it like an oil dibber as if going like oh okay three and a half feet of space. I don't know why that's important. He then just goes ahead and pries up the floorboards with the knife that we saw in the opening shot uh, which to me should have really been happening a lot sooner uh, underneath he sees a small sort of fist size hole disappearing into solid concrete and starts to widen it by bashing it with a fireplace poker all the while we see like the fire spreading smoke coiling around the pipes in the walls and the shadows of cats against the curtains outside so things become into a head having widened the hole a good bit he sticks his hand down through it and finds a small scroll tied up with a ribbon which when he opens it says some things in latin most of which seems to be the names of the three mothers again but then a little bit more and seems to have been signed off by uh, the guy who wrote the book uh, the architect and also alchemist making no effort to translate this in the slightest he puts it to one side lowers himself bodily into the hole which seems to be some sort of family tradition at this point into a sort of half height kind of crawl space with this wooden vaulting there appear to be a lot of papers and books and cobwebs down there as well and just generally starts to have a little poke around he crawls around in the crawl space for a little while sees a cat eating a still alive mouse uh, which ends with buying it in half which is disgusting and then he goes through a small trapdoor into a sort of stairwell he sees other trapdoors leading off of that and then opens one to look and see another crawl space similar to the one he just came out of which i guess is meant to show that whichever apartment you're in you can still break through the floor and reach this place i don't know why the building would have been designed like that but okay 
He then finds himself at the bottom of the staircase, looking through a kind of high-up window into an apartment which is occupied by the nurse and the guy in the wheelchair that we saw previously. Which, has this guy never, like, looked up in his entrance hall and seen these large multi-paned windows which just lead onto like red damask wallpaper and not wondered hmm i wonder why there's like a room around my skylight um but apparently he has never noticed this uh, and instead he checks to make sure that the nurse isn't watching him anymore and then wheels off in a separate direction pursued uh, via window by mark mark gets down into the apartment finds the guy sitting at a sort of audio mixing console type thing the guy then plugs some stuff in and when he speaks his voice comes from speakers all the way around the room and he says like oh you finally found your way here i suppose you know who i am the way in which he's using this like microphone thing on his neck uh, to speak kind of reminds me of the vincent price film the abominable dr fibes because he he uses like exactly the same mechanism to speak after he's left unable to do so by uh, an, an accident earlier on in the movie uh, so that was kind of nice just weird similarities between those two things uh, but the guy quickly to be the alchemist slash architect who built these buildings uh, for the three mothers he says that after building the houses he basically locked himself away here that this building has now become his body uh, and he likens the passageways to his veins uh, and the dark secrets of it to his very heart which is all very cool sounding but i honestly don't really get what that means or why the the mother whose house this essentially is would allow him to remain there after he discovered her secrets um, and the fact that this apartment doesn't seem to be in any way secret it appears to be just a regular apartment that anyone can access without even using the crawl space so i don't know why mark had to go through there to get here uh it, it's all very confusing and slightly odd the wheelchair guy then pulls the old come closer so i can whisper and when mark comes closer like an idiot he injects him with something before mark freaks out and knocks him over uh, so he falls over in his wheelchair and ends up being kind of strangled by the, the apparatus that is, uh, is allowing him to speak uh, through the cable connected to the speakers meanwhile mark rips the sleeve off his shirt and tries to suck the venom or whatever it is that he has been injected with out of the pinprick in his arm which i swear will just poison you the same amount because you know it's going in your mouth but there you go he, he's trying something he then rescues the semi-strangulated architect then plugs him back in again so that he can deliver some exposition saying that he may be dying but nothing will change because the, the mothers don't want it to change and that someone and the person who's actually in control here is waiting to speak to him and then we kind of get a view of mark through a half open door like he's being watched um mark still doesn't know what's happened to his sister uh, so i feel like he's not going to find out in like the last six minutes of the movie uh, but smoke is now coming in through a fireplace because the building is very much still on fire when he's told that he's being watched mark turns around to see a little silhouette at the glass door uh, behind him which he hastily pursues through burning corridors until he slams open a door that literally just leads to a very dark room which is walled by rough hewn stone walls with these like demonic faces carved in them which is quite surprising he goes through another door and encounters the blue room with the candelabra in it that we saw for a second earlier in the movie and a dark-haired woman kind of slumped over the table who kind of raises her head and just says in a kind of fatalistic way that it's all burning down and it's all going to be destroyed just like before alluding to i guess the events of suspiria 
she then starts to cackle when he realizes that he he can't get out because the door is closed behind him and then some weird shit happens and she just kind of keeps talking to him in front of this big mirror while she talks about how he'll lose a hand but he'll experience moments of brightness uh, and we can't see him reflected in the mirror but then she vanishes and her reflection stays there and still talking walks kind of out of the mirror to talk to him some more which is kind of cool and creepy but my patience is wearing thin because this has been a long ass movie and she says that they've got to hurry they've still got phases and phases to go through and that he will change and various other kind of cryptic bullshit which i feel like is not going to get explained he asks who she is which i mean i feel like we're beyond that question mark but okay uh, she then says that she is the three mothers, bizarrely, because she is a singular person. She recites their names and says that man knows them by a singular name, which drives fear into their hearts. Uh, as she's saying that she is getting closer to the surface of the mirror from the inside. And then she just shouts, they call us death, and breaks the mirror, at which point she just kind of comes through it as, and I want you to picture this, kind of a Halloween skeleton costume wearing a black robe, which isn't that scary. The skeleton then turns into a column of fire uh, as she screams death again and Mark realises that the door and most of the rest of the room in fact is on fire and that he can kind of kick his way out. So he runs, which fair at this point, uh, and then runs through the building as you see that it's basically all on fire and coming down. He escapes the burning building and then turns around amidst all the, the firemen and the crowd that's gathered to watch the, the massive fire uh, to see the skeleton person has reappeared as the beams come crashing down and they are engulfed in flames over which the credits roll. So I know this film isn't really meant to be a direct sequel to Suspiria but I feel like you should assume that people who are watching it have at least seen the first one and maybe don't want to just see the first one again but with different people in it because that's what I feel like I just watched. It hasn't really built anything it's brought in this like three mothers thing but there's still no clear motivation to what they're doing this film doesn't even refer to them as witches like the first film did so um that's kind of disappointing we still don't know what the point of the dance school was and what the point of this building is because it feels like it just was there just to get set on fire through a series of coincidences and it wasn't really clear what plans the witches had other than just you know killing people until someone came to investigate and then through a series of unconnected events the building caught fire so i feel like there's not a lot of point to this movie there's even less of a point to it than there was to suspiria in the first instance because this is just the same thing again but this time with even less of a reason behind it and it just seems kind of stupid because in the end he didn't even need any of the clues any of the riddles to just stumble into this guy's apartment be told that there was a mother there which you know we already knew from basically the start of the movie and then to do nothing except escape while something else took care of his problems for him so i'm really quite disappointed in the film there were some cool moments there was a lot of animal cruelty which i did not appreciate um but aside from that it hasn't really done anything to build up what we already had in Spiria, which was precious little plot um so the third one having been made in 2007 so a long time later i'm kind of hoping tries to wrap some of this stuff up with maybe some retroactive plot but 
I'm just generally kind of confused as to why this had to be made. It just feels like they wanted to film a bunch more cool murder scenes and do some creepy camera trickery and use more of those fancy artsy red light bulbs. But they didn't really want to bother coming up with a story to tie it all together. So it kind of feels like a lot of spectacle with very little of interest going on underneath and no characters that I really cared about because the only one who actually had a lot of lines and did okay at acting was Elise and she died so that's quite sad so I, I can't really recommend this unless you've seen Suspiria and want to watch basically the same film again but with some different people in it um but I'm gonna go ahead and watch the third one Mother of Tears just to kind of see out this trilogy uh, and see what it was all about if anything i hope you've enjoyed this review if you've seen the film if you if you'd like to drop me a line about it if you've seen mother of tears and you want to forewarn me that it just gets worse do let me know you can do so using any of the contact information in the description box as well as accessing the list to vote on what book you want me to read next when i start reading again and also the amazon wish list and various other interesting oddments to do with the podcast and in the meantime i'll see you in the next episode Bye.